You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. The power sweep. Actually, it's the it's the lead play in our in our offense. Tell the tackle, take the defensive end if he's over, if he's not, you drive down the first man who is inside. Pull back and get him. Take the first man outside the offense. No one shows. You're right by them and feel this side. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, he cuts inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. If you look at this play, we'll be trying to get a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome to Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. I'm joined alongside Jacob from the Packernet Fantasy Podcast. We got Tim live in Green Bay. Some people are hearing my voice and going, I can't handle this for an hour. I'm done. They already signed off. I guarantee it. But I uh, just want to say uh, uh, special thanks and shout out to everybody in the chat. We got Zane Strong. We got Goose. We got Boz. Um, man, a whole, whole slew of people in here. Doug in the house. Uh, let's see here. Emilio, Jake Shavink from the It's Always Draft Season podcast. Got some hottie named Mandy Bailey in here. What's up, girl? Uh, Larry Cano and uh, or Cano. I can't remember how we pronounce it, Larry. I apologize. And then we got Packer up in the house. So, oh, look at that. Packer up right off the bat, man. That's what I'm talking about. Said, started reading Take Your Eye Off the Ball 2.0, and it is great, man. It's a phenomenal read. Man, I think I heard, Jacob, I think I heard Ryan saying he was reading it the other day, too. Did you hear that on the pod? Did I miss? I, I didn't hear that, but um, I've been uh, I've been listening to Ryan pretty religiously, like for the last five years. So I'm I, I'll have to maybe was it on the uh, PTA? Sometimes I can't. Or I'm sorry, the uh, PAD. It, it may have been. Of course, man. I got to be honest. Last 24, 48 hours, pretty delusional. Like I <laughs> I was experiencing hallucinations and all kinds of stuff. Like I was telling Tim offline. I'm 41 years old. About 10 years ago, I thought that I had experienced food poisoning, and I was wrong. This was a whole different, whole different animal here. I'm telling you right now, boys. I was sicker than Justin Fields on a passing down. I didn't know what was going on, bro. It was rough. Um, about 16 times heaving in five hours. I think is what I counted. It became a game for me. It was like, hey, let's see, let's see what we can get up to here. But uh, <laughs> we're back, and we're back at it. Wow. Uh-huh. I had somebody reach out on YouTube and say, you're just trying to uh, trying to avoid the fact that Joe Barry see, said he needs to play uh, less two shell. And he was serious. And I was like, bro, you didn't listen to, hey, I'm sick, but you still didn't listen to a damn thing Joe Barry said because he didn't say they were, they were playing less two shell. He said the opposite, trying to test me while I was hallucinating. But anyway. I will say, can I say something real quick is, uh, guys, exactly what you think Clayton would be like off of being live. He's He's the same dude, right? So like we were ready to go. Me and uh, we're in a group chat or whatever, and I had talked to Clayton earlier yesterday. Was it? Yeah, yesterday. And and uh, <laughs> when I talked to him, I was like, "Hey, man, you don't, you don't sound good at all." And he's like, "Oh, man, I'm good. I'm <laughs> like, I'll make it." <laughs> and, I'm, and I hung up the phone, and I'm like, ah, "We're not doing a podcast tonight, I don't think, because this dude is crazy." And then sure enough, we got a text about what 40 minutes before, and he's like, "I got everything set up and ready to go." But I just can't. I can't do it. 
Bro, I came up here. Mandy could tell you too, man. She experienced the whole thing start to finish. She was here at the house. But I came up, I'm like, I'm going to go do the pod. And I came up here at 7.15 and I was like this, staring at the screen. <laughs> That's when I messaged you guys. I came downstairs and I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm done. I canceled it. But uh, it's hilarious. Man, y'all are already tired of hearing it. But Packer Up said, did you puke 65% of your weight? <laughs> 65%. i tell you what, man, when you experience something like that, though, it gives you a, uh, a new, a newfound love of life. Did you have a Aaron Rodgers ayahuasca type moment? Is that what happened? Oh my God. Hey, you know what? If, if that's what ayahuasca is like, no, I'm done. I ain't, I ain't touching that stuff. My God. I'm telling you, bro. It was bad. Anyway, let's get into some Packers news. Some of you guys are like, man, I need to- and wait three days, they'll hear you talk about puking, bro. Um, so Matt LaFleur was at the podium yesterday, and I'm going to play a little bit of this. I may not play the whole thing, but we got to kind of hear from him, and I think we're getting good news coming out of the injury front. I want to get your all's take on it because I, I feel like it's, you know, this is kind of what we lean for. I, we, we played it conservative to try to get people back healthy for the Lions game, but we know it didn't work out for everybody. And I think going into this Raiders game, we're going to be about as healthy as we have been um, you know, probably since the Chicago game, right? And we all seen the Chicago game. Granted, Chicago's hot garbage, but felt like we played there with more continuity and, and more consistency than any other game we played this year. But uh, let's kind of hear from Coach LaFleur here real quick. This was yesterday, and like I said, we'll kind of hit on some of the notes, and then we'll get into some of the other topics as well. Here we go. You made a decision on Stokes yet? Uh, that should be coming up here shortly. I've got a – Still have another conversation with Goody and our training staff before we um, make a definitive decision. Okay. Um, whenever he comes back, um, what was the challenge of getting a guy ready when you didn't have him? Mean, he's missed so much time. You think you almost have to give him like a, a training camp here, don't you? Well, I think uh, I think our athletic training staff has done a really nice job of trying to ramp him up. Granted, it is different than uh, being out there playing. 11 on 11, but we'll see how he, he progresses. You know, he's a guy that's, um, he's, he has missed us a lot of time, but he's also played a lot of ball and uh, looking forward to getting him back out there. You know, we spent so many, so much time this summer asking you about Anders and, you know, what may or may not be going right for him at that time. And yet he's just been steady as all as he could be. What, what are you seeing from him, you know, since the start of the season? Yeah, he's when when called upon in the heat of the battle, he's done an outstanding job. He's got a, we've all seen the ability that he possesses, you know, big time leg, um, and you know he's gone out there and executed when it's mattered most. Matt, along those lines too, with Daniel, how have you seen that kind of develop with the chemistry between those two, older you know, punter? Yeah, both of those guys have done an outstanding job. So we're really happy with them, and I'm sure there's it'll continue to get refined and hopefully get better and better and better. Matt, do you think there's a chance you could get Bakhtiari back this year at all, or has that been ruled out? Yeah, I'll let Dave comment on that. Um, I know he wanted to talk to you guys later on, so I'll let him talk about his... All right, so I wanted to get to that point, uh, and at least, you know, some of the things he said, Stokes, you know, they've been ramping him up because some people are like, man, it's going to be like a mini training camp for him, right? So evidently they've been doing a lot of things behind the scenes. Tim, you can attest to that even in training camp. You know, they were kind of ramping him up in training camp because 
we were seeing some of the videos in training camp and thinking, man, he might be ready week one, right? And you, I remember you were the first person that I experienced saying, hey, we need to temper that a little bit because I guess what you were seeing, you know, on the practice field. But obviously they're getting him ready to go. Talked about how pleased he was with Anders Carlson. And, uh, I mean, he's been perfect so far, too. And it's crazy is we keep talking about Anders as if he uh, he was bad in the preseason. And in all honesty, he wasn't bad in the preseason. He was just bad at practice, right? You guys remember that. So, the best of my knowledge, man, still perfect on the year. The big news I wanted to get to there, though, was what he said about Bakhtiari. He said David wants to talk to the media himself. And that kind of set me back a little bit like, is this retirement coming? Is this – you know what I'm saying? That just seemed a little little bit odd. Like, hey, look, I ain't going to speak on this. We'll let David talk about it. But, Tim, what's your initial impressions on that, man, as far as Bach? Do you think uh, – you think uh, that's something that he's going to talk retirement or what do you think that's about? Man? What's your best guess? Uh, I don't think that that's crazy to think that like, that's not, that's not out of hand for you to mention that. Um, we all know that that's probably something he's thought about. Um, you know, whether we want to assume that or not, it's a whole different ball game. But um, I think maybe just maybe, you know, this has been, they've been telling us the truth the whole time. You know, it's taken him a while with this knee. Um, he's never really fully recovered. Um, not sure what the, the last surgery was, if that was clean up or, you know, clean up surgery or whatever they had to do. This is like a constant work in process um, with that knee for him. So uh, I'm assuming, you know, if, if coach is saying that, David wants to speak for himself, then yeah, I guess, you know, we could assume that there might be some news coming, but it could be a big nothing burger. And, you know, Mr. Bakhtiari is kind of, uh, kind of like Aaron Rodgers, his buddy with the media. So, you know, I don't think, uh, Bach is going to shy away from speaking for himself when it comes to, uh, his health or, you know, career status, whatever. Um, I think the more interesting thing is, is, uh, his thoughts on, you know, is is coming back this year something that's probable or possible or, you know, maybe maybe that's what it is. Maybe he's just going to say that he's done for the year officially. I don't know. Could be that. I don't know about a retirement announcement, but you never know. Crazier things have happened. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, and he, he may be coming in to throw a backhand on one of the media members, too. You know, <laughs> but Elevated Shine Chat said, I've been gone so long. Tom got a camera and he met Tim, of course. And it, of course, it's Prison Matt up there immediately, Jacob. I think prison, me, love, me love you, Long Tim. Remember that? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You ruined uh, a good joke. Computron. Computron. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I love oh, it. boy. You got to hit it. Hold on, man. Let me find it. Hey, 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 hey. That's just the way we talk in the clink. <laughs> so, Jacob, what do you think it is, man? What's your best guess on the Bakhtiari wanting to hold off on comments, man? Um, I think that a good point. I was I was going to think of how I could steer this into a conspiracy theory, but I, I just – I think yeah. that Tim talked about it. Like, he – maybe they just – they were actually telling us the truth, that this guy just wasn't ready, that he has not responded – correctly in any way from what i can tell i mean i um i don't know much about injuries i did have like a, a hyperextension at lcl and acl minor tear when i was like 16 when you're 16 your body heals pretty good you know what i mean if you're a 30 plus year old man um that's a whole different ball game clearly and we're seeing it and um i would not be surprised there's a whole bunch of stuff that david bakhtiari could say and none of it would really surprise me i mean he could go out there 
and literally just slam two beers together and chug them like stone cold steve austin and i'd be like yep that's about right you know i he could come out there like uh, tim said he could say i'm retiring uh, or i'm i'm for sure done for this year and thank you packers organization i know that you're not going to have me back next year like I, I don't know why he'd do that but i couldn't i could see it um and yeah uh, the packer fan number one the last comment here i i thought was kind of highlighting that he says i think dave wants to say what he wants to say in his own words and eliminate as much speculation as possible because again like tim talked about this dude hates the media you watch his social uh his social media he does not enjoy uh the common media that we have and hey i like the man quite a bit for that i'll tell you that yeah no doubt no doubt about it man um let's see here <clears throat> josh martin in the chat said he needs to retire his knee isn't keeping up with him you know one of the things, too, that they said is the biggest thing coming off an ACL, and obviously this one's not a normal ACL. There was other damage in there. But the biggest thing is they say your knee feels like it isn't healed. And, and it's it's not necessarily pain, but you don't trust that new – you know, it's it's, it's very invasive, right? Like they'll – when they put in this new fake ligament or whatever, your body's initial reaction is to reject it, right? That's initially what, what it tries to do. And then once it does accept it, even then, mentally – they said your knee feels like it's going to blow out again. So you're trying to overcome that man. And the doctors are constantly telling you it's not going to snap. It can't snap. It can't snap. Um, so I heard somebody, I can't remember whose podcast it was, but they said they might've went in and scoped the knee just to give box some more reassurance. It'd be like, Hey, look, we, we, we scoped it. We looked at it again. There's nothing in there. There's nothing that's going to go wrong. Now I have a hard time believing it's not really swelling up. Obviously that's been the talk, right? It's, holding fluid. When that happens, that means your body is trying to fight something off inside of it. Right. Um, now you hear my accent, you know, I'm not a doctor, right? I'm not going to, I don't play one on TV either, but it's just, all these things are kind of getting tossed around. Right. And it makes you wonder kind of what's going on. You know, Adam Stenovich talked with the media. I won't play the, uh, the actual video, but you know, he talked about how he almost got emotional which was uh, pretty wild too, because you don't hear Steno talk very much. And when you do, I'll be honest with you, just he's very bland, just very, you know what I mean? But he talked about how Bakhtiari's worked so hard to try to get back. And then he gets back for Chicago and just absolutely dominates, right? We're like, oh, yeah, do box back. We're good to go. Um, it's just something you could tell it bothers him. Now, they they asked both LaFleur and Stenovich about Rasheed Walker filling in, both of them, just, you know, praised him big time. LaFleur saying, you know, he's been holding his own out there. He's continuing to pr improve week in and week out, which I think we would all agree. We've seen that. Last week against Detroit, the whole offensive line was a was an absolute wreck. They did a lot of ET stunts, things like that. Um, but Adam Sinovich went on to say, you know, they love he loves how Rasheed Walker competes. And, you know, the thing about Rasheed Walker are the long arms and the good footwork. That's what Mike Wallace talked about, right, right here on this pod. Um, I'm excited about Rashid Walker moving forward. If indeed Bach does decide to retire or, or it just doesn't work out. The one thing we do know for sure when it comes to Bach, he's not going to be playing under that cap hit next year. It's going to be a restructure of his contract. He's going to take a little bit of a pay cut, but probably still be the highest paid left tackle in the game. If indeed he does come back and you're talking about us saving a significant amount of money there. Now the people who immediately say he's not going to take a pay cut, he's not going to take a pay cut. Understand that. What's the market going to be for someone who has played how many games in the last three years? So when we say a pay cut, he's still going to be the highest paid left tackle in the game. He could just take 19 million guaranteed right now, put it in his pocket, then hit the open market. 
So if he gets paid, let's say he takes that 19 and someone gives him 10 million, right? Well, now it's 29 million and it's not guaranteed as opposed to the Packers being willing to give him whatever it would be, you know, 28 million guaranteed and being able to restructure it in a way where you uh, convert it to signing bonus as opposed to the salary, the roster bonus, all those things. It's probably not the podcast to get into those details on. We've covered it a little bit in the past, but that's kind of how that sticks out there. But as far as Rasheed Walker moving forward, I want to get your all's take on this. You know, we've had a few weeks of Rasheed Walker at left tackle. Tim, I'll start with you. Um, how are you feeling about Rasheed Walker? Do you think he might be the left tackle of the future, or do you think it's something we, we always need to be trying to upgrade and improve that? Well, I think when you're looking, you know, beyond David Bakhtiari in Green Bay, um, I think Rasheed Walker looks really good for what we've seen thus far. Um, is he the quote-unquote replacement or the the left tackle of the future? I think time will tell. I think we still need to see more. Um but, you know, he looks comfortable, you know, at the position. And I, we talked about this a few weeks ago about, you know, continuity on the offensive line. If you have young players that are taking to a spot well and they're adjusting to playing at the National Football League level, I think you got to do your best to keep an emphasis on not moving guys around, not putting tackles at guard, not switching sides, um, not having to you know, jumble it up and stick someone at center that you don't want to. So I, I think Rashid could be that guy. Um, but I also think that, you know, this team likes to address issues in the draft. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, maybe uh, Jake Schwink could uh, shed some light on that and see, you know, what the Packers are thinking um, going into this draft or maybe the next two drafts. Um, but I think so far so good for Rashid Walker. I mean, Left tackle is a very difficult position to play. Um, and I think that's a, a testament to David Bakhtiari's career for him to do it at a high level for as long as he has uh, says a lot. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully it's not over for Bach, um, but it does definitely look like it's one of those things where, uh, you know, every time he plays a game, it could set him back, you know, weeks, multiple weeks. So, um Time will tell with him as well, but uh, I do think Sheed looks good at left tackle so far. I'm not. I'm not going to say he is that dude quite yet, but uh, I feel pretty good about him on the left side. Yeah, I think it's very well said. Elevated Shine, aka Prison Matt, in the chat said, "If he is done talking about Bach, at least his last game was beaten and giving the finger to the Bears. <laughs> Doesn't get much better than that." But Jacob, <laughs> how do you feel about Rasheed Walker, man? You think he's the left tackle of the future? How are you feeling about that? I'm. Uh... I'm hesitantly confident, I guess. And I, we talked about it quite a bit, how you brought it up to Mike Wall. If you remember what sparked that conversation when Mike Wall was, you were interviewing him one of the beginning or times. And I said, what does he think about Rasheed Walker? And his, his answer was simple. It was like, well, look at his feet work and we'll see it after that. And then literally he got to the point where he is now seen and he says it's the, it's the footwork. And that's why he's um, basically has his vote of confidence. So that being said, you know, and then also like um, you talked about his long arms. I don't think that he had a crazy RAS, but I thought that he was decent enough. And I think that like you talked about the, the long arms, that's a big deal, um, especially when they talk about I know with left tackles and with edge, they like those long arms so that you can make that first contact point. And <clears throat> it shows that uh, if Rasheed Walker is, I'm, I'm hoping that he absorbed a lot of the technique from Bakhtiari because Bakhtiari is, if I remember right, his knock was that he had not, the longest arms and then he was a, wasn't he like a fourth round guy 
Um, That's and, a good question. He was a later round pick for sure. Rashid's a seventh rounder, so I, I want to see that. And I've noticed it like Bach, he does that weird kind of um, like almost he doesn't set completely still. If you guys have noticed that when he sets, he's very fidgety and he almost like to the point where I'm like, how does he not get called for a false start all the time? Yeah. But it's, it's like that's his stance. <laughs> You know, the way he it's almost up. like a pause, like he just kind of pauses just exactly. in time. Yeah. 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 And so in a way, I wonder if, if defenses have heat on him ever and like tried to jump snap count, but whatever, that's another conversation. Um, I just, I do, I, I do worry that this will be Bakhtiari's last year in Wisconsin for a number of reasons, even if the injury wasn't a thing right now, just the contract, just the way that, the market looks the way that like I just feel like Green Bay is trying to reset to be a younger team in general all around. Yeah. Um, and then you add in this injury. I just to me, I don't see it. So in theory, I mean, yeah, Walker's got to be that left tackle, at least for this year and next year, I would think. Yeah. Mike Hebring in the chat earlier in the chat said, uh, what are the chances 69 is back next year? I think it's as it sits right now, very slim, Mike. I mean, anything can happen. He could take a big pay cut. Right. Um, and be back. Um, he may just kind of just kind of hold Pat and and them do the restructure like we talked about. He's still the highest paid, and then bring him back that way, save a little money against the cap. Or the Packers may say, "Hey, look, we're outright done, and we're going to save twenty million against the cap, and move on with Rasheed." But Mike Hebring with the super chat here as well. Thank you, Mike. We appreciate it, buddy. He said, "Long term plan on offensive line: uh, draft the future left tackle, move Rasheed to right tackle, move Tom to center, convert Myers to guard, and let him compete with Runyon." Um, if you're talking about in the off season, I don't have a problem with everything you just said. You know, once you get to training camp and you get these guys kind of in place, the, the, I think I had actually talked, uh, it might've been with you on Twitter, Mike, I can't remember. Um, the biggest thing for me is less moving parts, man. Um, once you settle in, it, it, what you don't want to happen is one injury caused three people to shift. And now you get worse at three positions as opposed to just one. You know, when you get worse, and this is kind of the Mike Wall thinking, right? It's one of the things he said on the pod was, you know, now he, I can't remember the scenario he laid out, but he said, now you get worse at two positions as opposed to one. You know, uh, that's what backups are for, right? But, uh, yeah, so long-term plan. Let's break this down real quick, Tim. I'll get yours and Jacob's take on it. Draft the future left tackle. I'm cool with that, you know. And, and offensive tackle, offensive line in general, if they're good, is one of those positions you can plug and play right away. I mean, you've seen it early on with Bach really, you know. Um, so let's say we draft the future left tackle and we move Rashid to right tackle. I'm a little hesitant there, Mike, right off the bat, because it's like we don't know how he would play at right tackle. To the best of my knowledge, he's always played left tackle, even in college at Penn State. Um, moving Tom to center, I would be totally cool with because he's a little undersized to play guard. Um, but the fact that Tom is playing so good, so freaking good at right tackle makes me want to keep him there. Right. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea moving him to center, but what if you didn't draft Josh Myers? And I'm kind of fu speak, speaking futuristically while drawing a comparison, you know, back in time. What if you had drafted, I think it was Humphrey, right? The Chiefs got right after we took Myers. So, yeah. If you can draft someone of that caliber to play center and keep Tom at right tackle, that sounds a lot better, right? And again, I know we're just kind of theoretically speaking. As far as converting Myers to guard, um, I don't know, man. He, he he really hasn't shown me anything to think he could be a successful offensive lineman. You know, like like Mike was saying, he's average. It's not that he's a bad offensive lineman; he's average, right? You don't draft average offensive linemen in the second round, right? It's just something you're not shooting to do. Um, and then uh, let him compete with Runyon. 
you know, competition's always good, but what Mike just laid out there, Tim, what's your initial take on them? Do you agree with that as the future of an offensive line, maybe a game plan moving forward? Is there anything you disagree with there? Um, I'm kind of with you on the the left tackle here, or excuse me, right tackle. Zach Tom should stay where he's at. And we know he's capable of playing pretty much anywhere on the line uh, in a pinch. But as far as like the long-term plan, I'd, I'd like to see him stay at right tackle. Um, as far as converting Myers to guard, I, I have zero desire to see Josh Myers on the field at all. <laughs> Seriously, at all at this point. I don't know why, I don't know why we're finding reasons to keep him in the lineup. Um, so yeah. Uh, and as far as the center, a move at center, um, I I'd be more open to Elton Jenkins moving there to be honest. And maybe we look at, uh, you know, bringing a guard in or something. But, uh, I think, you know, kind of to my point, a few minutes ago, we were talking about, uh, Rasheed Walker. I'd like to see him at, at left tackle. Um, at, at least for the time being, I mean, here's a chance for him to get a lot of reps, a lot of reps this year. And, you know, hey, maybe we should have this conversation again, you know, like going into like week 13 or 14 or something and see how see how we're really looking there. But, um, yeah, I, I I do see Mike's point here, though, like in a pinch, kind of like you said, Clayton, like, yeah, this would work, you know, semi long term or, you know, as you're coming out of the season, maybe going into a camp, you're thinking about making these moves, but. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, yeah, I don't want to bash Josh Myers. Josh Myers, I'm gonna just say he's underwhelming and has been. Um, super right. good guy, uh, great dude, um, great teammate for a lot of the players. Um, but just is not executing, getting turned around, <laughs> spun around, just not executing out there. You know, like Mike Wall said, like it's it's a footwork thing. That's all you got to do is just watch the feet, and yeah, you can see. And that's, you know, people typically ask, they asked me last year, Clayton, what'd you learn this year? That's the one thing that I've learned this year. You've always heard people talk about the footwork, how important it is, this and that. And I would go, yeah, but still, it's about strength and about, you know, balance and all that. I'm convinced now because I'm really starting to focus on the footwork and you could just see the little subtleties. And it's what Bach does so well. If you literally just focus on Bach's feet, watch any of the tape from his career, it is phenomenal. 
mean, it's just so much balance for such a big guy. But Jacob, what's your take on Mike Hebring's uh, super chat here, man? Uh, how do you how do you see his proposal there, and maybe what would you uh, like to see long term? Yeah, so I don't quite agree with that. Here's what I think: this is how you do it. All right, this is how you make them. This is how you do it. Go left tackle Walker. Left guard will be a free agent slash draft pick in the future. Center, we go Jenkins. Right guard, we give John Running Jr. time to shake off the dust. Then we have Tom at right tackle, and we have either Caleb Jones or Yash as our swing tackles. Or we could leverage either Caleb Jones or Yash in some sort of trade where we get like a third, a fourth, something like that, or a straight-up pick for like a guard, a left guard possibly. Somebody that's maybe like a seasoned vet or a guy that's three or four or five years into the league maybe getting either overpaid or underpaid depending on its contract situation. And they want to exchange us for like a three or four year tackle that has a lot of potential, which I think Jones and, um, and Yash both do. So that's where I would go. Like, I, I like the idea of putting, you know, I just, to me, center, we've talked about it. We used to always scoff at center being like a really highly sought after position. I really do think that it could be, we talked about <clears throat> just the small stuff, like the intricacies of knowing when to snap that, you know what ball, Josh, and that's not just when the clock's about to run out. That's when a guy has jumped into the neutral zone and you have the opportunity for a free play. And for whatever reason, you don't see that. Like I, I, I played center and nobody cares. I understand that. But you, the biggest thing that the coach taught me was your peripheral vision. Like you have to know what's going on on both sides of you. Somehow you got to be a chameleon a little bit. And I just don't see that with Josh Myers. I do not see any of that skill. Like, like, Tim talked about, I just don't see him. If he can't do it at this level right now with all the coaching, with all the, the pampering, with the literally like Hall of Fame quarterbacks helping him through the process, doesn't seem like he's gotten it. It seems like he was dragged along. So I'm ready to, to cut the cord and move on to the next 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 one. Who was the guy that we were supposed to draft that Jake Shavink, he was like the most NFL-ready center in the last however many years. I think he went to the Steelers. And sure enough, was his name like Pat uh, – Oh, boy. Shavank, if you're in the chat, he was he was, uh, uh, Fitzgerald or Fitzpatrick or no, um, it was something like that. Um, Bro, I'm I'm so sleep deprived. Shavank will have to let me know. I'm just here for the now and later. <laughs> so, Roger Davis in the chat said, I want Bach to be able to chase his kids around the backyard. He tried to come back, but enough's enough. Roger, be careful what you say, because I said something similar on Twitter last year and I got crucified for it. I just said, Bucky tried, man. Dude, there's no shame. I just – like as if he's reading it anyway, but I'm just kind of putting my opinion out there. Like, you tried, dude. You battled your ass off. It didn't work. There is no shame in just calling it quits and, and go spend time with your family, man. You tried everything you could. People coming at me going, I dare you tell him to retire. You just want him gone. I'm going, my God, you people, you people. Anyway. Goose was right. Tyler Linderbaum was the center I was talking about, and then Creed Humphrey was the other one from the, the yeah. other year. How's Linderbaum doing? I wonder because I, I'd like to check in on it, see how he's doing. I'm, I may check. Um, Goose in the chat said Bach is a total technician, so no better guy to learn from. Absolutely, I'm sure that's been very, very helpful to Rasheed Walker too. Some of the things that we haven't really covered, you know, the fact that he's getting to kind of study under Bach there too. Um, let's see here. He did. That's correct. Roger said, uh, if my memory serves me right, Tom played center at Wake Forest. He absolutely did. Um, yeah. So let's see here. All right. One other thing I want to hit on real quick. Actually, we'll just hop back and do it right now. Um, Packer up earlier in the chat said, we need Jenkins back ASAP. Funny you mentioned that, my friend. So yeah. we have, uh, 
had some information come out, and this was kind of exciting. This was Bill Huber wrote about this. You guys, make sure you go give him some love. Uh, click on his Twitter page. He writes for Sports Illustrated. Had a great article where he gave kind of an injury update today, right? And um, at least go on there and retweet his tweet out where he posted the article. Let's help that dude out because Bill Huber, it doesn't get any better than him. He's one of my favorite follows. But this is what he mentioned today. Did not practice Rudy Ford for unknown reasons. Could be a personal issue. Could be an illness, non-football related. Um, we're gonna we're gonna choose to uh, think that it's uh, it's one of the uh, you know what am I trying to say here? Uh, less serious reasons, right? We don't want to pretend like he uh, he did something wrong, but immediately you go NFI. Oh gosh, you know what I mean? You you start thinking down those lines. But uh, John Runyon ankle obviously did not participate today. Zane Anderson didn't, and Devondre Campbell didn't. So. Practice after not playing but dropping out on Thursday. So these are people that we were worried about, right? Cornerback Eric Stokes practiced. Cornerback Jair Alexander back injury practiced. Left guard Elton Jenkins practiced. And tied in Luke Musgrave in concussion protocol. Good sign he's already practicing. That means he's ahead of schedule there. Also of note, running back Aaron Jones and Christian Watson, who had been sidelined by injuries but played limited reps against the Lions, apparently got through the game unscathed because they were back on the practice field again. Now, this is going to be hard to read, but I'm going to read it to you. Matt Schneiman tweeted this out. He said, Elton Jenkins sprained his MCL in week two, but was back at practice today ahead of Monday night. Quote, it feels good. He said, quote, definitely progress from the last two weeks. Quote, we'll just have to go through the week and see how practice goes, see how the knee feels uh, up to that time. So it sounds like things are going really, really well for Elton Jenkins. Now, we go into this game against the Raiders. The Raiders are a little banged up. I think the point spread, which we'll start covering tomorrow, I try not to get on that too early in the week, but I think we were five-and-a-half-point favorites going into that game, if I heard correctly. So the rumor is that uh, Jimmy Garoppolo will probably not be playing, okay? Um, I know Devontae Adams was banged up, but he finished the game. Um, so they're, they're battling some injuries there. So there's a good chance we're going to be uh, facing Aiden O'Connell, I think is his name, the backup quarterback. But uh, when it comes to Elton Jenkins, man, it's going to be huge whether he's back or not. The more pieces you can get plugged back in, right, it's going to play a huge role. I mean, I'm not trying to be mean here, but if somehow, some way, John Runyon can play, which I don't – I think he was out today, just like the injury report talked about, um, who's going to play right guard, right? Who played right guard last week when all of them were out? Do you guys remember? I'm trying to think of who was plugged in for right guard. Was it Yash? It may have been. We need to get that. We need to get that information if we can because um, I am totally unprepared there. But <laughs> my, I imagine they're probably going to plug Royce in at right guard, right? right? That doesn't make me feel much better. However, you get Elton back at left guard, that's going to help stabilize the inside a little bit. Josh is going to be a little more apt to roll that cover or roll that protection toward the right guard if indeed it is Royce Newman and you can kind of help in that regard and just put – Rashid on an island, put Elton on an island out there, which if you guys didn't listen to the Pat McAfee show today, um, Aaron Rodgers spoke. All anybody heard was him <laughs> make fun of uh, our boy Travis Kelsey for calling him Mr. Fies, right? That's not what I'm talking about. When you hear him talk about ID in the mic and talk about setting the protection, guys, go listen to it. Fast forward, get past all the other stuff where he's just trying to poke people, and, and it worked. Twitter blew up, but oh, – yeah. um, if you'll go listen to what he's talking about setting the protection, it's exactly what we talked about this past week. When I did the chalk talk, I think it was from uh, not the Lions game, but the game before against the Saints, I believe it was, whoever it was, where uh, Yash got – or not Yash, but uh, 
uh, Rasheed Walker got absolutely crucified for letting a guy come in unblocked. And I pointed out, no, it wasn't on him. He had the wide nine. The protection was set wrong, whether it was by Josh or by um, by Jordan, which we know Jordan's not setting the protection, which Aaron goes into detail, like not specifically on Jordan, but just saying quarterback should be setting the protection. Because here's the thing, like if he's not setting the protection, then all your faith is in the center that you guys are going to be on the same page on how the protection is going to be set, right? And then he talked about going hot and how, you know, in some cases you had to have two hot reads. It's just a really good conversation. If, if you want to learn a little bit more about ID and the mic and that type of stuff, it was really, really, really good. But uh, as far as Elton, I mean, that's good news, right, Tim? We get him back. Uh, probably going to help in the run game too as well, right? Uh, uh, absolutely. I just hope that, um, you know, he does in fact play like full throttle here on Monday. We have a long week, so, you know, hopefully he's good to go. But I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe he's on a snap count a little bit depending on how much uh, how much concern there is, you know, with that injury. Um, but I do think, um, you know, just him being on the field is, is going to be a major bonus for an offensive line that is, you know, kind of struggled these last couple of weeks. So um, you want Big E on the field um, anywhere you can get him, preferably at left guard. So it'll be good to see him play hopefully. Yeah. Adam Block in the chat said Myers isn't a starter in Newman NFL caliber. I this is usually where I would say you're being harsh, but I, I cannot disagree. <laughs> Hello, <moment>. Newman. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, let's see here. There's another one here too. Uh let's see. Amelia at least Myers wouldn't have to worry about the, the task of snapping the ball at guard. Uh would be good for his processing. It's, it's a good point, over, it's an oversized center, isn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah, big time, big time, yeah. And there's a reason that for so long – we talked about this. I remember when they first drafted him. I think I think they drafted him in the very first year that I came in on the podcast network. I think he was one year in. And I remember saying that, and I, I got kind of lit up for it. People were like, oh, size, size is better, you know, if he's a bigger guy. I'm going, think about being hunched over and trying to snap the ball and then getting your base. I think being bigger is – I mean, there's a reason that some of the best centers, probably the majority of the best centers in the history of the league, have been smaller, right? They've been a little bit shorter in stature. Think of Scott Wells, right? Mm -hmm. I look like a little bullfrog up there, boy, but you couldn't move that dude, right? And he was always just a uh, just good balance for sure. Um, this one cracked me up. 2-0 for this says I'm starting to think Myers is left-handed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, let's see here. What else we got? I think we're caught up for the most part. Carly Ray in the chat says technique can make up for lower weight. Um, nothing can compensate for lack of technique, not in the NFL. That's, that's a very good point. Very well said. Very well said. All right, let's see here. Next topic. Let's get – y'all want to get to the heated conversation. Before we do, we give a special shout-out to the new YouTube members. Jerry Wass, Corbley, Boz, and Deadfish are our new, newest members of the PTA Posse. Congratulations. Appreciate you guys jumping on board. Your name will be entered onto the wheel that we're going to spin – uh, this coming Monday night, immediately following the Monday night football matchup against the Raiders. And we're going to be spinning that wheel for the prize of an autographed John Coon jersey. Okay. So uh, whoever wins that spin, like I said, we'll spin it three times and make sure we find a winner if someone doesn't come forward and claim the prize. But uh, excited about putting your all's name on that wheel. We, we appreciate you, uh, you guys and gals. Like I said, Jerry Weiss, Corbley, Boz, and Deadfish. Appreciate y'all jumping on board. Now, let's get to the heated part of the conversation. Um, since I'm the the uh, I, evidently I am the president of the Joe Barry fan club and the only one that exists, 
not, not only am I the president, but I'm also a member, right? The only <laughs> member. Um, I had somebody come at me on YouTube and say that the reason I didn't go live, I wasn't sick, is because I didn't want to come on here after Joe Barry said they need to stop playing too high shell. He didn't say that. I could play the whole four-minute clip, but I figured we would lose viewers as I played it, so there's no point in that. I want to just kind of highlight some of the things he said, and and I'm not sure if you guys got a chance to watch Chalk Talk that I did. Um, I, I'm afraid to go back and watch it because halfway through it is when I started getting sick, and I looked up the next day feeling like I was about half drunk, right? And I went for an hour and 40 minutes. <laughs> I don't remember it. I don't remember. <laughs> Brett fired that one, man. Yeah. Yeah. If I hadn't had if I hadn't had the the game tape to go off of, I would say I have no clue what I said and it was probably wrong. But I feel confident that what I said was on tape. Anyway, some of the things that he said in his presser really kind of hit home with me and was like it it everybody's saying word salad. Oh, it's just word salad. He's not saying anything. And I'm going, you're not listening to what he's saying. Everything he said is on tape. And if if you're too lazy to go watch the tape, that's cool. You can fan how you want to fan. But don't just make stuff up, right? Like, it's all right there to be seen. Um, he said the run defense – they asked the, why is the run defense struggling. He said it's not one thing. It's not one thing. There's a time in the red zone where he kind of got caught off guard with the nickel, right? And the reason being, like he pointed out, was it was real simple. They're going down the field. They're marching into the red zone, right? They never sub. But when they don't, when they don't sub, you don't get a chance to sub, right? Especially when they go quick count, right? And that's what Detroit started doing. They caught them in a nickel. Now immediately people combat that and say, "Well, call a timeout." Joe Barry doesn't call timeouts. That's on Matt Lafleur. Like he's got to make that decision. Um, and again, we're not in the headset to know if Joe Barry's saying Matt call a timeout. So Joe Barry talked about that. Well, how did you? Why did you have two down? Why were you in nickel and goal line formation? Well, they didn't sub. We couldn't sub. There's the answer to your question. Whether you like the answer or not, it's still the answer. It's still what happened on the field, right? Um, he said it's not one thing. That's one thing that came to mind. Um, you know, one of the things he pointed out was, yeah, the run defense was bad, but 30, 30 runs were played really well, right? Now, I think they ran the ball. What was it, Jacob? It was over 40 times, right? So you had a bunch mixed in there that were bad reps, right? They said, are you equipped to stop the run? He said, yes. That's the only thing that my BS meter went off a little bit because he hesitated. You guys know I've talked about this. We've prioritized pass rush, and rightfully so because it's a passing league. Well, the downfall to that is those guys aren't going to be as good at playing the run. Turn on the tape with Devontae White and convince me he's a good run player, run stuffer. It's just not – he plays kind of out of control, and he's very good in the pass rush. Jake Shavink talked about it on a couple of weeks ago here on the pod, and he talked about he's he's one of those guys you want to line up on the outside sharp shoulder of the guard just like he did at Georgia and just rush the pass. Um he said, uh, we use different personnel groups, you know, and that's where he said, um, he said, we use different personnel groups. We use different pass or different fronts. He said, we didn't just stay in a too high shell. And that guy that commented on YouTube came and said, Barry admitted they shouldn't be in a too high shell. It's like, he didn't say that. He said the opposite. He said, we played a lot of spinner. We played a lot of cover one. We loaded the box. And that's exactly what I seen on tape, Tim. I would show the late rotation of the safety come down right as the ball was snapped. That way the, the offensive line wasn't even prepared within their run blocking scheme. Um, they tried a whole lot of different stuff and it just didn't work. You know, um, he didn't way. always play split, split safety. And then of course, like I said, as I said, in my notes here, they asked about the nickel goal line and that was just simply because they couldn't sub, but 
I don't know, man. Is there, is there anything you think I'm missing there, Tim? And be honest with me, man. If you're going, ah, Clayton, you, I, I disagree here. I'm trying to find someone to disagree with me and say, here it is on the tape. Here's what you're seeing. Here's what you're not seeing, Clayton. What am I missing, Tim? No, I think we're covering it. I think we might be doing a little more than the average uh, when it comes to really reviewing the film. And I did catch mostly chalk talk. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're <laughs> – your single high box is loaded and you can't stop the run. I mean, what do we, where do you go? Where do you go from there? And that, that's why I coach is saying it's not one thing. Guys are obsessed with this. You know, we should be, you know, man to man pressed up or, you know, then it's too much man and we should be in a zone. And, you know, so it's like, it, it's never one thing. And any coach in the NFL, if you ask, are you equipped to stop the run? I mean, what is he going to say? No, is he gonna throw, exactly. throw his team under the bus and say, no, I think we need, you know, it's like, come on. So it, it all depends um, on how you look at the game, I guess, and how, how you're viewing it. But uh, I'm with you, Clayton, you know, and I'm not just being a, a Packers total access homer, but I do. I agree uh, wholeheartedly. I, I think it's evident in the film and, uh, you know, hopefully with another game here, you know, against Vegas, we'll see some changes and we'll have new film to study and hopefully uh, it looks better. But yeah, man, if you're, you know, loading the box and playing with one safety and you can't get it done, man, then it's not just scheme. There's something else going on. Yeah, definitely. Too old for this in the chat said, does listening to Mike Florio count as watching tape? Because most people seem to think it does. Um, <laughs> Jacob, man, what am I missing here to do with this defense? Cause when we, when we turn on the tape, we've seen a ton of missed tackles. We've seen Rasul Bl- – oh, this was another one that drove me crazy. And and I'm trying to give people grace because I'm guilty of this. Uh, how many times have you heard me, Jacob? You've done a post-game show with me for over a year now. Every time I go, I don't like to comment on this stuff because I haven't watched the tape, right? You've heard me say a thousand times. Yep. Heard a guy – and, of course, I'm out of the loop for two days, so I'm listening to a podcast that was immediately following the game. And he said this – Rudy Ford played like garbage. Did you see where he just completely ignored the deep pass and, you know, on the touchdown catch or whatever it was? And I'm going, that was cover three zone match. Rasul bit on the double move, and that was that wasn't Rudy's. And I, and I had to step back and go, you know what, dude? He he hasn't watched the tape yet. He's just going off of emotion, you know, immediately following the game. But again, you've seen missed tackles like crazy, Jacob. You've seen Rasul Douglas blow a coverage, you've seen Darnell Savage blow a coverage. What am I missing, dude? Is there something that I'm overlooking or being too lenient on with Joe Barry? Because I'm on the records. I, you, you've never heard me say Joe Barry's a good D coordinator. You've never heard me say that. You have heard me say, look, maybe the coach, Joe Barry, isn't doing a good enough job preparing his guys, right? But then that's when the argument comes in. I always hear we got eight, eight first-rounders on defense, eight first-rounders on defense. I'm going – why does he need to teach first rounders how to how to tackle? They've been in the league for three, four, five years. But what am I missing? Dude? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm trying to be devil's advocate right now because that's like, what I need right now too. Because well, I feel I mean, like I'm losing my mind. <laughs> like you talked about, on one end, I can see how, yeah, for sure, um, we've got eight first round draft picks. We shouldn't need to coach these guys up. But I mean, it's. That's kind of like saying if you buy a Ferrari, you never have to change the oil. You never have to have the routine maintenance on it. You never have to do any kind of thing. I think Ryan may have actually made that uh, that, that uh, comparison at some point or analogy. And it makes sense. It's like we do need somebody that obviously 
is in charge of the structure, the scheme, the play calls, that all that kind of stuff, the philosophy. But at the same time, I do think that a lot of it falls on his plate where it's like, Ew, are, why aren't you practicing the right way? Are you not wrapping? Like, are we not letting you guys do full f- force tackles in practice? Is that leading? Which could be a LaFleur thing as well. But then in the same uh, aspect, like you talked about, I've, I've watched now. I, I'm not, I, I don't know. Sh- you know what about real X's and O's like really, really know about it. I'm still learning. I try to make myself, you know, better. I am too, man. I'm, I swear. Well, I am too. And, and you're years and years and years above me. So like, I trust when you watch the tape that you see, and then you can show me like, Hey, look at this. This dude just got deked out of his shoes. And then he, but he's in position to make a play. So like we've talked about Joe Barry can't throw down and start doing pile drivers and spearing guys like Goldberg. You know what I mean? He's, he's on the side with a headset on looking like this, just being like, Oh God, like he put him in position to make the play. And it seems that is at least in the last year to two years, it's been more often than not that he has drawn up decent schemes. Now, again, we'll go on the other side of it and say, well, all right, if, if you're not anticipating being able to make um, substitutions, then have a contingency plan where you have just that, that like if, Hey, if we're at the 20 and they get a 13 yard pass and they don't sub, we need to kind of have a mini goal line package or guys that can be hybrids or something along those lines or, or switch up the coverage so that we're not playing with just such a disadvantage where people are literally like laughing, like look at the lineup where it's, I get the fact that legally or legally um, if you, if you follow the game rules, you can't make a sub there unless like you talked about, you want to call a timeout. Well, maybe that needs to be a conversation between LaFleur and, and and Barry is to like, hey man, if I need if I need something, can I can I burn a timeout in this situation or that situation? Or because I feel like that the Packers have been a little bit more stingy lately about using their timeouts, which I like, you know. Right. But it's a proof of the past, right? <laughs> just at first first quarter, second drive, timeout. Like, why? For what? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah, not the NBA. Are- you don't get like six of them or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Herring with the super chat. We appreciate you, buddy. He said this defense can't get better with 52 playing 77 snaps and 90 playing 102. Aiden Hutchinson is with the Lions, has 236 by himself. Bub, Aiden Hutchinson ain't coming off ACL surgery nine months ago, man. Like, like I would love to have a Sean Gary out there every snap. I would love it. The dude's leading the league in pressure rate. He's an absolute monster against the pass. He's like 33% or some crazy. Oh, it's it's insane. And what's crazy is that you're a little bit vulnerable there too. And I'm going to say something that's probably going to tick a lot of people off. But again, just like everything I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you an exact game to go watch the tape and get confirmation. I love Rashawn Garrett. I do. I think the knee still isn't there yet. Obviously, they're trying to ease him along. As, as good as his pressure rate is. Atlanta game. Go back and watch Bingo. Go back and watch the Atlanta game, and you're going to see him over pursue. Yeah, over pursue on read options Dang. the entire game, and and just and to the point where Russell is pointing at him like, "Dude, what are you doing?" Right? And listen, I'm not right. saying, I'm not saying he's a horrible run defender. I'm not saying anybody else can do any better. All I'm saying is, if you see it, you got to say it, and that's what the tapes show. Right now, as far as the him playing as many snaps as Aiden Hutchinson, you, you can't do it right now. You can't. Now, when it comes to Lucas Van Ness, are you saying, okay, a first-round pick should be able to plug right in and play? I will say this. I would much rather see Van Ness than Preston Smith out there. I would personally. Just simply because that's what this season's about, right? Isn't this season about letting the young guys play and seeing what we got going, right? Um, 
I love Preston Smith. I think Preston Smith is a better player than Lucas Van Ness right now. I do. But those are valuable reps that Lucas Van Ness can get if indeed he is healthy. Now, another thing, too, is you had the elbow injury, right? So how much did that play into him taking less snaps as well? Could have been the case. You know, we're not in those those training rooms to know that for sure, right? But uh, appreciate the super chat, Mike. And again, man, yeah, if if Rashawn Gary's out there for 236 snaps, just like Aiden Hutchinson, I think his defense is a little bit better, man. I think that's what you're saying, and I agree with that. Can I say one other thing quick, too? About yeah, um, I really do think that if we have a healthy Devondre Campbell, all four of these games, that guy, I mean, he's just, I think he's the quarterback of that defense for sure. And in addition to that, Quay Walker, I saw a stat today. I'm not sure if it was, I didn't have time to fact check it, but it said that he, with his last two games or two of the last four games, he had like 17 tackles and 19. I believe he's number one and two now of Packers all-time record single season or single game tackle holders. Like that's crazy. That's wild. That's wild. That's my dog. <laughs> and, and there's still – what's crazy is there's so much to improve on. Yeah, like, he's, he's got a lot of potential still. That that goal line uh, play that we talked about with the two-down linemen where they got caught, you know, in their sub, yep. it, you know, he completely missed his gap assignment, right? And even with that, his tackle numbers are just crazy. His coverage is unbelievable. Like his coverage, he's one of the best cover linebackers in the league, right? Um, he's just – his weakness is definitely – run defense, but tackling is somewhat of a strength, if that makes sense. So what's that tell you, right? He's he's almost there. He's yeah, he's, he's just got to come around. You you know. get, if you get his gap assignment sound, Tim, dude's going to yeah. be an absolute monster, man. At least that's yeah. what I'm seeing. But, again, Mike, thank you for the super chat, buddy. We appreciate you. Uh, number one Packer fan says, I think fans like myself, LOL, need to separate run defense questions. Why is it bad now versus why has it been bad over the past few years produce different answers. You know, here's the thing, too. Under Dom Capers, what was the argument? Our run defense sucks. Under Mike Pettin, what was the argument? Our run defense sucks. Under Joe Barry, what's the argument? We play too soft, but our run defense sucks, right? So three different coordinators back to back to back, the run defense sucks. What's the one commonality? What's the one thing that hasn't changed? It's the front office approach to drafting. We draft high upside athleticism with a premium on rushing the passer. How long have we been in a 3-4? We've been in a 3-4 since Dom Capers. We switched over when Dom Capers come over in the late 2000s. And so, I was jacked. Don't get me I was fired up. And I'm still a big 3-4 guy. I am. But the league is very cyclical, right? And things kind of come and go. That's something that we wanted to stay in that vein. And the whole reason we switched to the 3-4 was to stop the run because traditionally the three, four, and at the time you were still seeing a lot of base defense, but the three, four defense is essentially rather than four defensive linemen in a four, three defense, you've got smaller defensive linemen who have one gap priority, right? In a 34 front, you have larger defensive linemen, 300 pound plus that control two gaps. But the problem with, with the NFL today, and really right as we switched to the 3-4, it became more dominant across the league that teams stay in 11 personnel the majority of the time. Therefore, you're triggering your sub package now. So now you're at a disadvantage, especially in a pass-happy league, but when they run out of the nickel, now you're down to two of those big body defensive linemen in the trenches, and you've got your edge defenders on the outside, and now your backers are in there. So it's almost like our defense, our front office and building a defense – it's kind of a little bit behind the eight ball. 
You know, we were ahead of the curve when we won the Super Bowl. We had one of the best defenses in the league that year. You had Clay Matthews rushing off the edge. It was a pass-happy league. Not that it's not still pass-happy, but it's kind of like the old Bill Walsh approach. You're still you're, you're still running the same passing concepts, the, rate, the same route combinations. You're still attacking the defense the same way. You're just doing it out of a multitude of works. The illusion of complexity with the, uh, uh, you know, just straight com- uh, simplicity on your side of the ball. Um, it's, it's, it's easier said than done, man. It is. But yeah, to answer your question, Tim, we've been in the 34 for a long, long, long freaking time. We, we switched to the 34. I want to say it was right around the time that McCarthy took over. He hired Dom Capers. I I would say as early as 2007, 2008, we've been in the 34. I want to say that's the case. It could have been, it could have been closer to 2009, but he basically Dom Capers brought in the old Blitzberg defense. Right. And that's what I grew up on because my brother was a big Pittsburgh fan. So when I told my brother that Kevin Green was going to be the outside linebackers coach, he was fired up. I mean, he's a lot older than I am. He's more of a father figure to me than a brother, to be honest with you. But um, yeah, I love this kind of talk, though, man. This stuff, uh, it's fun for sure. Um, Let's see. As we approach the 55 minute mark, I wonder there's a couple other things. I already hit on the Bill Huber injury report. We're good there. I do want to share this with you guys real quick. Um, I think I tweeted it out. I'm going to get it pulled up, and then I'll go to it here and share the screen. I thought this was really cool. If there's one thing Goody is good at doing and this front office is good at doing, it's drafting wide receivers in the second round. There's no doubt about that. So check this out. And I want to give credit where credit to You probably know what I'm talking about here, Jake. Yeah. Can you see the screen? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's cut off a little bit, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll pull it up here. So basically this tweet right here, right? I love I love this video right at the bottom. <laughs> Let bro cooks what it says underneath it. So it's the tweet up top here. It's probably hard for you to read. I'll read it. It says, Goot, I wasn't familiar with your game. So they did a side-by-side comparison of Jackson Smith and Jigba. You guys know everybody lost their mind because we didn't draft Jackson Smith and Jigba in the first round, right? He's on the season, nine receptions, 57 yards, average of 6.3. I thought, I thought Jackson Smith and Jigba was supposed to take the top off the defense, right? Nine catches, 57 yards. He's a rookie. Zero touchdowns. Zero touchdowns. Zero touchdowns. Here's the guy we took in the second round, Mr. Jaden Reed, 5'11", 187, 12 catches, 203 yards, two touchdowns, an average of 16.9 yards per catch. Fellas, I don't know about you, but that absolutely fires me up. That fires me up big time, man. Um, thoughts? Tim, That's uh, I think we got us a stud in Jaden Reed, man. And he's got some, some – refinement some polishing right but uh i think we got us one dude i said it early in camp man he's a star he's he's a star um just just pro ready right yep yep pro ready um you know uh what did we see i think he he may have had one or two rookie mistakes this year because you know you got to remind us all that he's a rookie um because it's easy to see him play and think that he's not um you know we talked about drops last week but that you know, that was good D or bad defense not getting flagged a lot of the times. And what we see with Jaden Reed is he's clutch. He's definitely a clutch guy. When 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 he needs to make that catch, game's on the line, he's coming up with the ball uh, nine out of ten times. And uh, the, the speed is just crazy. And to see him run routes the way he does, again, he doesn't – I know we keep repeating ourselves, but he just doesn't look like a rookie. And uh, I'm personally glad – that we took him over JSN. Uh, it just proves why, you know, we're fans and, 
GMs are GMs, you know, there's a reason we're not getting paid millions of dollars <laughs> to draft players. So uh, I think it's still early, you know, we're, we're a quarter of the way through the season here, but uh, you know, talk about another guy with super high ceiling and uh, sky's the limit, nothing but excitement for Jaden Reed, man. Yeah. Jacob, what are you saying, Bob? Yeah, man. And uh, again, anytime I give any criticism towards anybody in the chat, just let, it's not personal. We're just talking ball. So people are talking about how JSN has only played one game, maybe two. JSN's on a team with really good receivers. Guys, that doesn't that doesn't matter. He's that good. He should be on. So number one on the Seattle uh on Seattle, he's he's the number three receiver. Jaden Reed is our three, maybe four receiver. So that math don't add up right there. They've got Lockett and they've got DK Metcalf. We've got Watson and Dobbs. And maybe you'd argue a few of the other guys that get more more snaps, I'd argue. Um than probably anybody, and then and he does that. That so I, I'm just saying that Jaden Reed right now, like we talked about, he looks pro ready. He definitely has had a couple mess ups, but I mean the mess ups he's had. What's the one? It's like oh, the guy didn't make a game winning sliding <laughs> on his back miraculous catch as the defender knocked the ball out of his gut. Like oh, what a you know. It's like is uh he, he he had a couple bad drops, but he made also the diving catch if you guys remember that basically concreted the win in that, in that comeback victory. So, and he's been, like you said, he just looks like steady Eddie. He looks like he is a three year vet right now. Yeah. I would like to see him get some more stuff behind some more jet sweeps, some more um, end arounds, or just use him as a dummy. I feel like, again, I'm, I'm really confused as to why we're not using more motion as of now, but Aaron Rodgers is why. Because Aaron Rodgers doesn't like it. Anyway, Tim, <laughs> do you have anything to add there, Tim? I, I was I was just gonna say, did, did does JSN play uh, on special teams in Seattle? Is he a is he a kick returner and a punt Ooh. returner too? It's a good point. Uh, yeah, there you go. Hey, here's the thing too, I, and I understand exactly what they're saying. It popped in my mind too. Is that well, you got DK Metcalf and you got Tyler Lockett too. Okay, teams are in eleven personnel the majority of the time which means JSN should be on the field or he's not even the third best wide receiver unless he's injured. Now, here's the other thing. Imagine you've got DK Metcalf taking the top off and you've got Tyler Lockett, one of the best possession receivers in the game. Shouldn't that free up? Shouldn't that mean that JSN is on the third best corner on the team and probably never seen a double team? You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of things that come into play. Who's taking the coverage away from Jaden Reed in Green Bay? You know, Romeo Dobbs. Are people Especially looking at Romeo Dobbs like he's Randy Moss? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, so I think it's a valid argument what they're making in the chat, and I think it's great conversation. Like Jacob said, ain't no disrespect mean to any meant toward anybody. If anything, it's more information for us to put in our mind and go, okay, I, I'm not looking at it from that angle. But you know, anytime I hear kind of that angle of the argument of, well, they've got two great receivers, that means they're drawing attention away from him, right? Um, too. So you can kind of look at it from that angle as well but the thing about Jaden Reed like we said from the get-go man he just he seems like he's pro ready man he uh and that's exactly what Goody said we didn't realize he was this ready it's almost like they weren't ready for him to be put into the offense like that but as far as the motion Jacob I'm with you dude I don't understand it and you know you guys know I'm not crazy about motion but the the point the fact of the matter is this the statistics in 2022 offensively when there was pre-snap motion as opposed to not having pre-snap motion. With the pre-snap motion, uh, all the way across the league, the touchdown-to-interception ratio was 2-1. to one. Without it, it was 1-1. One to one. So, go ahead, Jake. I'm just curious because, like I said, I'm starting I'm, – I'm really starting to dive deep into trying to learn, you know, pre-snap coverages, blah, blah, blah. 
doesn't it make sense that if you have a lot of motion pre-snap that it gives the quarterback and the center a lot of, you know, uh, heads up as to what they're running. If it's a zone, if it's a man coverage, if they're going to be doing press and that way they don't have to be so, we don't have to necessarily worry. I shouldn't say worry, but we don't have to rely on the center calling out the protection scheme or that if we can just the amount of motion right away, you know, like if this guy's running with this guy, odds are it's going to be some sort of a man coverage. So, um, to me, it just makes more sense that we would do that. I don't know what, like you said, I don't know what the, the scheme is there, the, the thought process. I would have thought after week two that like, oh, they're saving it. They're holding the, but now it's like we're in the quarter of the season and I don't see it. And it's just kind of weird to me. But, yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it does. It allows you to gather information pre-snap. Okay. Manor zone. Right. And on top of that, it gives you a, a target that's got momentum moving. Therefore, they can beat the corner off the line a little bit easier as they cut the corner. The other thing, too, that made me sick about chalk talk, and I, I guess I wasn't sick enough to uh, to realize or to at least forget this. Man, they ran that that lead T swing several times. It's all over the league right now. Go watch the 49ers highlights, guys. You, you can get a four-minute clip, and you're going to see a Christian McCaffrey clip in there. And I'm not saying that A.J. Dillon is Christian McCaffrey. I'm not saying that. Emmanuel Wilson, Patrick Taylor, or Aaron Jones is Christian McCaffrey. I'm not saying that at all. I'm telling you right now, if Jordan gets off that number one read, especially against press man where he decided to go X, X slant, if he just looks to the right and sees how open that lead T swing is two times with the F and Jaden Reed leading it, not as excited about that, but the other one with Josiah DeGuara leading it, you had the hat count. You had momentum. Imagine A.J. Dillon catching a swing pass with 10 yards of separation to the next defender and a lead blocker. That's how you do damage, right? And both of those times, it was a misread by Jordan Love. I'm not here to knock Jordan Love. If you see it, you got to say it. That that specific time on the first one, they were playing bump and run, and he tried to hammer a slant in. Not what You, you don't want to try to hit a slant against bump and run, especially if they're showing inside technique. And the other time, um, they had the play called – and they were playing soft, and he hesitated on the slant. I think he ended up going across the middle, but had that swing both times. Look for that moving forward because I'm telling you, Matt LaFleur, he is scheming people open. If there's one thing I will compliment Matt LaFleur on right now, and I know he's catching a lot of flack that he's not the leader that the Packers need, that you know they, they don't like the way he's getting away from the run. We were critical of that. Obviously, we criticized the crap out of him that in the last game. But if you look at the passing game, he is scheming guys open. There was another play where Jordan got Christian Watson absolutely annihilated on the dig, right, where we ran the double digs. Threw it across the middle, triple coverage, gets him drilled. Just one of those hospital balls we always talk about. You can even see Christian Watson kind of curl up after he took the hit. Romeo Dobbs on the opposite side of the field, literally the deep deep corner. It was either deep corner, deep safety, showed his hips inside. Knew it, As a quarterback, if he gets off of that double dig, and looks over there and sees that guy open up to the inside, that's just a timing route. You hammer that out. Romeo Dobbs, if you if you put it on his back shoulder, is liable to catch that, make that guy miss, and take it to the freaking house. There was a lot of plays left on the field on that game by Jordan Love. Um, and I'm telling you, Matt LaFleur, the way he's scheming passes open right now, J.T. O'Sullivan said it when he's seen it. Mike Wall said it when he's seen it. These guys breaking it down on their chalk talks and stuff. Um, absolutely phenomenal what he's doing, but – Getting away from the running game the way the way they did early in that game was just man inexcusable. And, and I know it's it's easy for people. Oh well, they had the box stacked. I've been one of those people in the past. Like my my thing is, if you come out 
and you've had four runs in the first quarter and you're averaging two yards a carry and then you get away from the run, I get it. You tried it. It ain't working. Let's try to do something else here, right? But when you come out and pass it six consecutive times without handing the ball off one time and you're punting every possession, you, you got to you gotta put blame on the coach there for sure. And, and your running play action on top of it with no run, with it, no run yeah. game. Like that blind play action. That was the other thing, yeah. too. That was blind play action on those double digs. And it was just like, man, they're, they're not and, – and on top of that, Jordan short arms the play fake, you know. And, and, again, I'm no quarterback guru, but you can see the second that his arm extends and he starts to pull it back in, you see 34, the backer. I can't remember his name. I, was, I can't remember his name. I'll screw it up. He, he stops that jab step, and he's immediately getting back. So, in Jordan Love's eyes – his back is turned to the ball, which is what Aaron hated doing about the play action. That's why he liked to play it out of the gun. And by the way, last year, the last two years, people complained to no end how we hate running out of shotgun. We averaged more yards per carry last year running out of the shotgun. Granted, we weren't running pistol. Now we're running pistol, right? But again, with pistol, even then, the quarterback has to kind of turn his back to the ball, right? Um, it just – I said it last year. It kind of feels like the uh, – the league is caught up to the McVay style of offense. Now, if you if you want to draw the parallel between McVay's offense and Shanahan's office, our offense, I respectfully disagree that it's the same offense. I don't think it is at all. Um, but you also got to look at the weapons. Debo Samuel, you know, Kittle, uh, check all McCaffrey. these guys. They've got Christian McCaffrey. My God, on and on and on, you know. Um, but, yeah. You got a pretty good line, too. Yeah. Yeah, you got that right, man. There's no doubt about it. All right, let's wrap this thing up. I am not going to keep you on here all night like I did the other night. I got a gnat in here harassing me where I'm, I'm back to hallucinating again maybe too. It could be <laughs> but uh, Parting thoughts as we get ready to wrap up here. I think we got all the super chats in, um, kind of covered everybody's comments, so I think we're good. Um, yeah, Doug, Doug asked this. I'm just going to answer this real quick. Doug said, did a reporter ask Matt LaFleur about the lack of run plays? What did he say? I don't remember that being asked, Doug. I don't. They may have. Um, but I know the answer to it. On the, on the second drive, right, he called a run play. But just like every play, there's a can attached and Jordan can to the pass, right? So on that second drive, we should have got a run play on first down. But Jordan's seen something, and I'm sure he got approval by Matt that, hey, look, if you get this look, can out and go to the pass, this specific pass play. So, yeah. Anyway, parting thoughts. Jacob, let's go around the horn here, man. You got anything else? I know you had a few fun facts, stuff you might want to hit on. Do you got anything you want to hit or do you want to wrap it up? Uh, I was just going to say, I'll try to maybe rapid fire this real quick. So we had Packers worked out five different players in the last week, uh, one of them being old running back James well, – I shouldn't say old – uh, three-year running back, James Robinson. He's been in the league since 2020. He was an undrafted free agent out of, I believe, Illinois State. Yeah, Illinois State drafted. Oh, he had a, didn't he have a great year in Jacksonville? Am I thinking right, Jacob? Yeah, he had a great. He's he's uh, So his first year as a rookie was 72.9, almost a 1,000-yard rusher. Uh, I shouldn't say. I think he was around that. Uh, 2021, 67.4. This last year, he took a big step back, 59.7. But he did have a randomly great uh, pass blocking grade of 81.5. So it was, you know. That's maybe something that they're looking at. Another guy that I thought was really interesting we brought in was a guy named Clint Rakovich. If you guys remember, he was the guy that tore his ACL during Green Bay's Pro Day that they had back in 2022. And at the time, he was the top fullback prospect in his class. And then he actually went on to get signed and play for, I believe, the Falcons. 
Yeah, for the Falcons, for the beginning of 2023 in preseason, he was the number one ranked fullback by a mile. I'm talking by a mile. So his run blocking grade was 81.1. He had a decent, uh, I think he was the 32nd overall pass blocking grade. He had a decent rushing grade. And like I said, he was a freak prospect out of college. So I would love for us to go ahead and sign him. Let's stop this DeGuara prospect thing that we're doing. I just, I I love the guy. I hate to say that, but um, it's just where I'm at in the league or in, in right now for what we need in the team. And then the last thing I'll say real quick is we also had an inside linebacker, Ola Kunle Fatukasi. Hey, no cussing on the stream. We just got demonetized. He is the younger brother of the Jacksonville Jaguars linebacker, who is a pretty big uh, thumper. So kind of cool. We have three prospects that I kind of want to keep my eye on a little bit there. Specifically, uh, the second one I talked about, that fullback. I just I think it'd be great. I think that's maybe something we've missed like you talked about just now, we're running a lot of shotgun runs, pistol runs. I haven't seen a lead back since William Henderson, man. I'm ready for it. <laughs> it's been a while. John Coon, John Coon you know, yeah. I want that kind of running back. God, I miss the Coon days, man. Oh, love it. Tim, what you got, buddy? Party thoughts? Anything you want to hit on, man? Um, Kind of a sad note. Um, Just want to send a rest in peace shout out to uh, John Gordon. I don't know if you guys heard about the uh, artist who designed the infamous G logo for the Packers, right, oh, right yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Died at 83 uh, years old after a battle with Alzheimer's. Um, he passed away on Saturday. Um, so he was an art student at Saint Norbert College in 1961 and was uh, an assistant for the Packers equi- equipment manager at the time when uh, Coach Lombardi asked him to uh, design the uh, the G. Um, it was later modified to what we like actually see today. It was a little different when he first designed it, but uh, you can check it out online. Uh, AP uh, just did an article on it um, a few hours ago. So uh, just wanted to put that out there. Another legend has uh, has left us. There it is right there. Look at that. Yeah, He's man. on it. So that was the original one. So you could tell they kind of modeled it almost after the football. Right? After the football. That's what he said. Yeah. Wow. Tim, I love history, bro, That's and cool. I, I feel like I'm well-versed in Packer history. I did not know that. That's really cool, man. I'm glad you brought that up, bro. Thanks, nice. man. Yeah, I just – I like to stay up on the timeline, uh, even stuff away from the X's and O's too, you know, so you uh, want to pay your respects to another legend. Um, so rest in peace, Mr. Gordon there for yeah. sure. I believe the funeral's tomorrow here in uh, Green Bay. or Yeah, it's in uh, Green Bay. Yeah, good stuff, man. Yeah, it, it, you know, when you when you dive into how everything kind of came to be, you know, like Lambeau Field, another one, that it, it popped in my mind as soon as you started talking about the Chi. Um, to the best of my knowledge, the architect that designed Lambeau Field, which obviously was called New City Stadium at the time, went to Michigan. He was a Michigan alum, so they modeled it after Michigan's big house, which is kind of cool. So if you look at Michigan, it looks very similar, you know, that traditional yeah. bowl shape. Really cool, man. There, there's an awesome DVD. You guys may have it. Um, it's out there somewhere. If you can't find it, I might see if I can rip mine off the DVD and send it to you guys in a file. But it's called The Legend of Lambeau Field. Oh, it's phenomenal, dude. Such a good DVD. About an hour long and just t- talks about the history of the stadium and everything. I'm sure there's many documentaries, but that one really stood out to me. It's called The Legend of Lambeau Field. It is awesome. I think it was actually done by the Packers, too. So Awesome. Stuff there. Yeah. That's going on my notes now. Um, heck yeah. Yeah. It's, you will not be disappointed, man. It's really, really good. Really good. So, all right. I want to give a special shout out again to the new YouTube members, uh, Jerry Weiss Corbley, 
Uh, we got uh, Boz and Deadfish. Thank you guys for joining the PTA Posse. Like I said, we'll put you on the wheel, spin it this uh, this Monday night, give you an opportunity to win an autographed John Coon jersey. And there's going to be other uh, giveaways coming up too in, in future weeks. I think the next one after that, we're going to be doing a uh, autographed Paul Horning jersey as well. So uh, pretty cool stuff there. We're going to be trying to give back. And again, I didn't even know the YouTube members page was a thing until I started getting notifications. I'm like, what is that little symbol by that guy's name? <laughs> I dug into it. It was like, oh, okay, people can subscribe, not just subscribe, but can like, you know, sign up as a member for like $2.99 a month and it supports the stream. Like, oh, cool. Well, we need to start giving some stuff back. So that's kind of what um, provoked that. I know, Jacob, you had donated some stuff to give before and everything. And then we've got all kinds of good stuff to give away. Check out this new piece. I, I was telling Tim. Mandy surprised me with this today. You see that right there, Jacob? That pylon? Pylon? It's a pylon autograph by Dave Robinson. It says Hall of Fame on it, bro. Hey. Bro, I'm being here with the dogs. Be diving for the pylon, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just weird like that, but anyway. All right. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us in the chat. Way too many to mention. You guys are awesome. I also want to say thank you to everyone who reached out. I was so disappointed we couldn't get a show up. Uh, yesterday other than the chalk talk or whatever that we went out Sunday. Um, but everybody just reaching out, man, and get better, get well soon. We really, really appreciate uh, all that. And thank you to Jacob and Tim for staying flexible. Basically they were ready to go the last two days and both times I'm like, bro, I'll be throwing up on screen if we do this. I can't get going off. But definitely appreciate your all's time. I want to give a special shout out to the Super Chats. Mike Hebring, thank you so much, buddy. We appreciate you always supporting the stream. I love that you always bring um, differing opinions and always keep us on our toes and thinking outside of the box because it's, it's easy to kind of get in our own tunnels and uh, and not looking <laughs> outside of what we uh, we just uh, you know think is is the uh, what's actually going on here. So, hey, dude. Steven, but, I don't know if you were the one who told me. I was going to ask. That was the one favorite. Bro, somebody somebody told me the other night, I can't remember his Twitter or whatever, they were like, saltines, man, saltines, saltines and rest up. up. That was always what my parents, every time I had like the stomach flu or the flu, they'd be like, yo, you're eating nothing but saltines and seven up. I don't know why. I went 40, almost 48 hours with no food. And I <laughs> three saltine crackers. I'm telling you, they saved my life, bro. Like, and I could, I'm telling you the second I swallowed that saltine, you could hear it hit the stomach. There was nothing. There was nothing. I just pictured Clayton like sweating, looking at himself in the mirror, like stop. On a <laughs> and thinking I haven't had a daddy soda in three days. It sucks. <laughs> yeah. Appreciate it, Larry. Thank you so much, man. So much. All right, let's get out of here. Um, no, there's no love for Corey Bradford. Get out of here with that, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, guys. Like I said, everybody in the chat, you guys are awesome. Thank you for the well wishes. Tim, Jacob, you do really appreciate you too so much, man. And Super Chat, Mike, thank you. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Uh, don't get food poisoning and go Paco. The power sweep. Actually, it's the... It's a lead play in our, in our offense. Double tackle, the defensive end, if he's over him, if he's back, he drives down on the first man who is inside. Pull back and get him, take the first man outside the offense, back. No one goes, go right by this and feel this back. If the YN has the linebacker taken out, that's inside. If the YN has the linebacker in, he comes all the way around. 
look at this play, we'll be trying to get him to see you here. And I'll see you here and try to run this play in the alley.